Welcome to Donuts with Dudes, episode 19. It's September 11th. Anthony, man, I can't believe it's been 22 years since the 9-11 attacks. Honestly, it's a day I'll never forget. A moment of silence for the near 3,000 souls that lost their lives that day. For our first topic this week, the AI music artist Ghostwriter is back at creating fake songs with famous artists' voices. It's the modern day Millie Vanilli. For our second topic, Amazon just created one of the first in-home personal assistant bots. That malfunctioning little twerp, this is all his fault. And for our final topic, Anthony and I unpacked 24-7 sports list of collegiate sports programs with the most booster money. Stick around for the second half of our show as Cameron and I had a great conversation with Dr. Hatala, professor of health sciences, discussing men's nutrition and the obesity epidemic. But before we throw this batch in the oven, Anthony, hit him with that great intro track, my dude. Let's get it. Welcome to Donuts with Dudes, where we dive into the things that matter most to men, like sports, business, and mental conditioning. But we don't stop there. We also incorporate health topics, because being a well-rounded dude means taking care of yourself. We're your hosts, Anthony and Cameron, and we're excited to bring you this show, where we discuss hot topics and interview experts in their field, real dudes just like you. So sit back, grab a donut, and maybe some coffee, and join us in the bakery. And dudes, for our first topic this week, it's a crazy world that we're living in. I know Anthony and I have talked about artificial intelligence. Well, here it is back at the top of the headlines of this week's number one story. And we got AI. Man, it's just cutting into all this IP intellectual property, especially when it comes to these artists. I know a couple weeks back, Anthony and I covered a story on a AI DJ who is essentially, for lack of better words, stealing people's voices, artists' voices, and creating their own songs. We covered this story a few weeks back, like I mentioned, on a Drake and Weekend song where this guy took both of their voices and created a rap song, and it actually sounded okay. I'll give him props on that. It sounded okay, and the song actually sounded just like Drake and The Weekend. Well, the guy... His name is Ghostwriter, and on Twitter, now called X, he's the at symbol Ghostwriter977. He came out last week, and he called out Travis Scott and 21 Savage, and basically told them that he was going to create this song called Whiplash. We're going to play it for you here in a second. That uh, he basically told them, hey, look, you can't beat me. Join me. And, and he basically said, people want this song. He says to him, clearly, people want this song. So why don't you join me and we'll work together on, on the royalty system for creating the song. Doesn't matter. The song was already released. Well, props to the guy in a sense that he's being creative here and he's kind of utilizing uh, the AI to his advantage. But at the same time, anybody could do this. Yeah. So if I'm looking at his Twitter right now, which, which I am, he's got 2,034 followers. 
and he's got a ghost picture with some sunglasses on. Oh, he's actually got a sheet over his head with some sunglasses on, right? <laughs> right. So that could be anybody or it could be nobody. I mean, this whole thing is just, okay, I get it. It's funny. It's pretty cool. But, I mean, there's really no talent there, right? And now he's just trying to profit off of this. Yeah. So I think anybody could do it. Absolutely, man. I, speaking of the no talent part, I... You know, I just said earlier that the song with Drake and The Weeknd wasn't a bad song, really, honestly. But here, we're going to play a quick snake bit for you guys. This song's called Whiplash. This is the song they created using Travis Scott and 21 Savage's uh, voices. Listen for yourself. What do you guys think of it? They waiting outside. Flooding the gates, I'm pulling the wrist Like no, I ain't got it, stole me and stopped In Houston like when he got my brothers with me We lighting the city on fire Protect my Achilles cause they trying to kill me But I never been so alive So, I mean, beat is okay But everything else for me, I'm just kind of like, ugh You know, I guess maybe if you're a 21 Savage And a Travis Scott fan, maybe you want that Because Perhaps they haven't really done a song. I don't even know if they've done a song together, to be honest with you. I do like 21 Savage, and I do like some Travis Scott's, but I don't, I'm not a big fan of them. So yeah. I'm not really waiting for a drop of, that they're going to have together, you know? Yeah. This is just a quite interesting thing, that this is even a topic of discussion. Like, this is what we're having to face and the roadblock that we're having to go through with this. And, um, man, in my mind, this is where the regulation needs to come in, in my opinion. You know, yes, I mean, there there can be some creative juices that come from artificial intelligence and the use of it. But in my mind, this is just crossing the line of, man, if I was an artist in anything and I had somebody duplicating or trying to duplicate what I do. Yeah, this is this is just kind of a little bit crazy to me, man, that this is even something that we deal with. And this is a roadblock or a hoop that we're having to jump through these days. But, hey, this is the world we're living in. And there are some singers that are jumping on board with this. I mean, look at Leanne Grimes. She's the wife, or I don't know if they're married or not, but I know that she is the mother to some of Elon Musk's, Elon Musk's? Muskets? Muskets. Got some. <laughs> <laughs> Elon Musk's children. She came out and said that she would split the royalties with anybody that came out and created a good song using her voice. I just got an idea, bro. What you got? We need to create, we need to do what Ghost Rider's doing, except create an artist called Elon Musket. <laughs> I just created Yes, that's dude. It. And so it's a rapper with Elon's voice. <laughs> Musket, baby. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you guys look out for uh, Donuts with Dudes dropping Elon Musket <laughs> with the song Space Exit. Right. But anyways, well, dudes, what do you guys think about this? We wanted to catch this topic and bring it to you guys' attention because we just kind of thought that this was interesting and that this is a continuing thing, but it looks like this is something that we're going to be dealing with unless somebody decides to come out and put some regulation on this thing, And but we hadn't seen any of that yet. But if you want to comment on this topic, you can do so by finding a link in our show notes that'll take you to our website where you can leave a comment or share a story with us, but you can also do the same thing if you want to email us, info at donutswithdudes.com. Ah. 
And for our second topic this week, dudes, I think we might be living in iRobot days because I, with all this technology going on, we're still going to, we're going to stick with AI and technology with our second topic this week. Because here recently, Amazon just released their own household robot. It was actually released in the fall of 2021. However, they're opening up more invitations to anybody on Amazon that wants to try out their new Amazon Astro. It's a household robot that's incorporated with the Ring Alarm system and technology, and it's supposed to be a or supposed to act as a smart display, and it's supposed to be also a security guard, toy, and an errand bot. Okay, I don't know if you guys have seen this thing. This thing's about a foot and a half tall or two feet tall, and it looks like it's got an iPad on top of a Roomba. And right now, Amazon is letting it go for about $1,600. Man. You can get your own robotic personal assistant for $1,600. Dude, think about this. You got a Roomba that doesn't clean? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that, that was the thing that got me on this is like, I didn't hear anything to do about cleaning in this. Right. I did see, I was watching this video here, man, and it he does have cup holders on him, though. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so he can go get your beer, right? No, he can't even get it, bro. <laughs> you can just put it on him. Okay, wait, here. Here, hold my beer then, man. Right. <laughs> so little homie can go run off, go check out your home, hold your beer for you while you do it, but that's about all he can do. You got a whistle for him. He'll bring your beer back. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing with this thing? I don't know, man. It is the funniest looking little thing. And I really am going to really going to tell you dudes to go look at this thing and go Google Amazon Astro because I, I really don't know what it does. It, I, we know that it'll go around and snoop around in your home and can take pictures of certain things. So if you got a dog at home, or if you got an elderly parent that maybe can't call you, you just want to check on them. I see what we're doing here. But for $1,600, this thing ain't going to clean up or ain't going to at least sweep mm. for me? Man, that's a that's a problem. So I was just looking this up right here on this, the Amazon Astro on Google Reviews. So one of them says it's a complete fail and that it takes five to ten minutes to set up each thing. Um, you've got multiple things you need to get an app for it. The Astro may take up to 30 minutes plus to map out your house, and then sometimes it'll freeze up and you have to start back all over again. Um, it just said that they, this guy said if you did zero research, it's like they did zero research for this product because it's that many fails on it. Hmm. This guy, Joe Bear, says it's a five-star. He gives it five stars, and he says it's like a pet and has become part of the family. That's where we're going with this. All, all right. right. Okay. All right. Well, hey, well, there you go. Check it out for yourself. He's got a 4.2... Stars out of 33 reviews. Astro does? Yeah. That's not bad. I'm, I'm going to need a little bit more than 33 reviews. Right. But that's not a bad. I mean, if I saw 4.3 on Amazon for something, I, I'd buy it. I see also, man, it's 1,600 to 2,300. Well, actually, 2,400. So I wonder what the uh, higher end model can do. It they, still can't go upstairs, right? Right. So, gotta, yeah. So. Right now, it, the the caveat to all this is that the current model can only work on one floor. 
So it can't climb stairs and it can't adjust itself to like lower, uh, lower itself down or get up, get up on a, a platform or anything like that. So I'm going to pay $1,600 for a little mooch to just be running around my house. I got three of them already in my house, but to have another little bitty mooch just running around, I don't know that I'm on board with this just yet. Yeah. And he don't clean either. So you just, <laughs> he ain't even, that's what he is. He's a, he's a snitch. He's a little spy, bro. You <laughs> yeah. know what I'm saying? Just snooping around. I mean, can't even say, oh, I found this, but I was cleaning and I, and I moved the pillow here and I, what is that? You know what I'm I found something under your pillow. I was I was making your bed, and look what I found. <laughs> this guy just be looking. So, golly, man. So, what you're getting for the sixteen hundred dollars? We kind of already mentioned what this thing can do so far. Is you've got a Ring subscription to Protect Pro, or you can have an annual subscription to Alexa together. Now, I don't. I'm not familiar with Alexa together, but Ring Protect Pro allows you to have everything stored in your cloud as far as video goes, all that fun stuff. So that's pretty cool. And I can kind of see the trajectory in which Amazon is trying to go with this, especially being in in home care industry. I mean, having personal assistant caregivers, it's, it's, it's tough finding good talent these days and people that will work for the amount of money that is out there, right? Um, and this this could potentially be a way to bridge that gap, right, in the future. So I I get where they're going, but I don't know that this was a, a minimal viable product to just go ahead and, and send out to the market because um, I don't get it. I don't get the point mm. at this point. You know, you just brought up a good point that I didn't even think about, which was, I guess, for home care. Maybe if you got a, a loved one that's at home and they get around a lot and they're mobile, but they live by themselves, you know, maybe a grandparent or your own parent or something like that. And you need to have some eyes on them. But I mean, I'm not sure how somebody with dementia is going to react to a, a robot following them around. I don't know. Yeah. And you said earlier that, that the top speed on this thing is two miles an hour. It's going to have to get a little bit more agile than that, especially when it comes to like fall prevention and things like that. It feels like it's another thing to just fall over and trip over for a senior, right? All right. So definitely got a lot of things, I think, in, in my opinion, that would really make this a good product. I can see the foundation of what they're trying to do and adding more features onto it, especially some of the ones that we just mentioned here today. Like, I mean, heck, just at least sweep something up while you're running around, little homie. But I see, I see where you're going with this thing. You know what? It's probably going to be just like the iPhone, bro. They got all these advancements every year. So maybe the next model is going to be a Roomba with him. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> You're right. He's going to be carrying a, uh, a broom and a, <laughs> and a mop. <laughs> go put a little some T-Rex arms on him and let, right. him, let him go pick up your beer for you, you know? Dudes, what do you guys think about this? You interested in having a a artificial, intelligent robot in your home to help you take care of some of these mundane tasks that you don't care about. Obviously, I don't think uh, the Amazon Astro is where it's at, where we would like for it to be, to be a really cool product to have in the home. But even if it was, is it something that you would put in your home? Let us know. Hit us in our show notes or email us info at donutswithdudes.com. And dudes, for our final topic this week, I'm sure you guys have been keeping up with the whole name, image, and likeness thing going on. 
in college sports right now, obviously we're paying college athletes over the table instead of under the table these days. And we're just kind of making it a legal thing. But there's been a lot of, I don't know, speculation or a lot of gaslighting, a lot of pointing fingers between coaches as to how much money is being thrown at their program. And so what 24-7 Sports did is they put together a top 50 list of collegiate programs that get the most money from their donors. The findings from 2005 through the past 2022 season, okay? We all know that college sports, really in particular college football, is a money-making machine, man. I mean, everybody loves their alma mater, right? And But it's crazy the amount of money that's thrown at college sports. So let's take a look at the top five of this top 50 list. And coming in at number five, the reigning back-to-back national champions, Georgia Bulldogs, $716 million. No surprise there, right? And they're kind of off to a good start this year. They're not really getting that much media attention this year. A lot of attention going towards uh, UT and what they're doing right now in Colorado with Coach Dion. You typically are hearing a lot of Georgia Bulldog news, I feel like, especially them being number one in the country, but not really not really hearing too much about Georgia. Well, they just beat Ball State. I mean, they're, you know, I guess everybody's got their big game, and then first couple games you, you got your kind of one-offs. Yeah. But who did they play their first week? You remember? I think they played Brian High Junior Varsity last Collegian. week. Collegiate. Yeah, yeah, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, number four, we got the Florida Gators, $763 million. Now, I know Florida is, I mean, they put money into their football, just like Texas does. And so, no surprise here. Got another story program. So, one of their main donors is Gary Calderon. He's a CEO and founder of Conlon Company, which is a construction company. He's been the, one of the largest donors here recently. He just gave $22.5 million to help out with the indoor practice facilities for the Gators. Coming in in the top three here, coming in with no surprise, we got your University of Texas Longhorns, $766 million. Now, you talk about a program that historically has been a very good program, right? You've got one of the richest endowments when it comes to how much money a university system has in and of itself. UT has the second most money when it comes to endowments just behind Harvard University. So, I mean, UT comes from comes from money, man. They're moving into the SEC just like OU is, and they're going to get the same TV deals that all the other SEC schools are going to get, and that's the reason why they're making this switch over. But man, I, I got to give it to them, man, as much as it pains me to say it. They looked good against Alabama this past weekend. They had their number. Yeah, they definitely did. And you go look at the game, man. I, I suggest you go watch the quarterback that came through. What when Ewers? Yeah, you know he he looked pretty good out there. And thinking about this, I I, I forget the stat on this, but Steve Sarkeesian uh, becomes another coach on the list to beat his. Yeah, the third one. Yeah, dude. So yeah, the. They might know. They might know a little something. I have to. I have to say they, they might be on a run here. But coming in at number two, the cross-state rival, my Aggies, Texas A&M, eight hundred forty-nine million dollars. They're under a lot of scrutiny with paying players, and that apparently that Jimbo is just going around throwing money with donor money at players, and that's how they're getting all 
their players here at, at Texas A&M. Obviously, we know about the Texas A&M Foundation. It definitely generates a ton of money oh, yeah. every single year. A&M just had new indoor track facilities. They just created new softball and baseball fields, and obviously they've got a newly renovated Kyle Field that's uh, less than 10 years old, too, as well. So A&M has dropped a lot of money here recently on their facilities, their training facilities and weight room, too, as well, to go along with that. But it doesn't look like it's really producing just yet, man. Not yet, but if you remember back when Johnny Manziel was there and the year, I guess it was 2012 to 2013, the donors, it said uh, the university raised more than $740 million in donations, which was $300 million more than the previous 12 months, and that's for that year. So success has a lot to do with it. And, you know, diehard Aggies, man, we, we love throwing money at mediocrity for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> you know I love a good eight and four season, man. I mean, mm, I love it. Right. That's, hey. Eight and four, that's what $849 million will get you right there. Anyways, I digress. We'll move on to the number one school, and that is your Oregon Ducks coming in at $969 million. Let's just go ahead and call it a billion, Mm. you know? But obviously, Oregon always has the coolest looking uniforms out there. They're known for their extravagant uniforms. You never know what you're going to get coming week to week with Oregon, but Nike founder Phil Knight is one of the alumni of Oregon University, and he has given more than a billion dollars back in the past two decades of giving back to his university. Just in of it himself. I mean, they are sponsored by Nike, and that's why they have all the fresh stuff, dude. I mean, they have the multi, you know, any kind of uniform they got out of so many uh, colorways and combinations. I mean, it, I, I always liked watching them. Yeah, because they're gonna come out with something that looks r- real cool, and yes, man, you know that helps to have the founder of Nike. Hey, it's created a good brand for them, and you know, kudos to them. But hey, they're they they've struggled a little bit over the past couple of years too. So it's interesting to me that you look at a lot of this. The SEC tops this list with if you count Texas and Oklahoma already coming in as the SEC schools. Seven of the top ten schools mentioned here are SEC schools. Mm. Just goes to show people in the Southeast love their football and are willing to put their money behind it too as well. It probably has a lot to do with also why there's more SEC players in the NFL than Than any other conference. There's a long-term investment there somewhere, you know? Yeah. Money there. Absolutely. Well, dudes, obviously this is a very big topic that a lot of people are passionate about. It's definitely bifurcating where people are split on the topic of paying athletes and not paying athletes and the amount of money that goes into sport programs and all this fun stuff. With all that being said, we'd love to hear your take on it. Find the link in our show notes. we got a way that you can go to our website, drop us a comment there, or you can email us the comment, info at donutswithdudes.com. We'll be back in a minute, but now a word from our sponsors. At some point in our adult lives, we may have to turn our attention to the needs and safety of our parents and grandparents as they age. They've done so much for us, and it's our turn to make sure they have the best quality of life. I founded HomeSpark because seniors deserve to have the very best care available, so they can age with dignity and remain independent longer. Our caregivers provide wellness checks, companionship, transportation, meal preparation, and more of what you think is important. To learn more about our personalized care plan, visit us at homesparkcare.com. HomeSpark, 
we care for people. Hey dudes, in the bakery this week, we were joined by expert Dr. Jeffrey Hatala. Dr. Hatala earned his PhD in health services policy and management from the University of South Carolina, and his work spans across multiple disciplines. His initial work included obesity prevention, and he is expanding his research portfolio currently to increasing and strengthening public health workforces and organizations. He also participated in and led community health needs assessments with rural hospitals in Texas and conducted evaluation studies for both the military and rural organizations. Dr. Hatala has taught courses on topics such as public health, health policy, health management, strategic planning for health systems, and marketing. So you can see why Anthony and I wanted to invite him onto the show to discuss all things nutrition and obesity prevention in men. Dudes, we hope you enjoy our conversation with Dr. Jeffrey Hatala. Well, Dr. Hatala, we thank you so much for joining us in the bakery today, but welcome onto the show. Welcome to the bakery. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I I see the bakery sign. I don't see the donuts. Was I supposed to bring them with me? I don't remember that in the emails. Right. Yeah, we'll have to uh, take a rain check on the donuts. Okay. Um, we've got some whiskey here for you, but... Oh, that would... No. Yeah. I'm good. Thank you. But we'll definitely have to send you a box of donuts to, to you and your team here in the future. So. Hey, sounds good. I'll take you up on that. Yeah. Well, hey, I talked briefly, just kind of an overview of your career, some of the things that you've done up to this point, but would you mind sharing with us, and maybe you can probably say it in a better language than I can present it, as to some of your prior studies. And, well, we'll find out. <laughs> right, yeah, we'll see. We'll, we'll compare notes after this. Okay. Uh, and just what you're currently researching. Um, those are, that's a great question. I'm, I'm dabbling in a lot of different areas. My... Most of my research has been in the space of obesity and obese prevention and related factors as the uh, principal investigator, if you will. So like my ideas and let's try to make this happen. And I work with other people on, on their stuff too in, in a variety of different areas. So mostly what I've done is I've looked at obesity and obesity prevention on the systems level by examining, for example, what aspects, infrastructure aspects of a health department lead it to participate in obesity prevention activities. And I, that's a watered down too many syllables and all kinds of bad, like this multi-list of prepositional phrases that usually goes into that. So I'm glad to be able to speak English about this now. And I also did that very same study and I compared Northern and Southern states because Southern states have, have higher BMI rates in general to see like what is it that influences those things to be different? Mm. And I expected it to be money, that Northern states just have more funding that they're willing to spend toward that, but it was actually not the case at all. It was a variety of other things, like the ability to have community partnerships was was more of an, a factor than, than money was. Okay, I'm presently looking at obesity prevention programs in Texas and what makes them sustainable and what infrastructure needs to be in place in order for them to be sustainable, in order for the outcomes to be sustainable. Right. So as I've been doing that research, I keep coming up with with interventions that are looking at the importance of social support with, as a factor within that. And so because that keeps coming up, I'm starting to shift into this area to look at what social support is and what that means, not only in terms of obesity, obesity prevention, but also in terms of just life in general for men. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, that's a lot of words. 
but I, I think that it it definitely is relative to the state or I guess you would call it a, an epidemic that is going on in our nation right now, right? Yeah. So, I mean, it, it speaks a lot to what is very relevant in our space today. It's really high um, in the nation. It's really high in every state, and it's really high with men. It's in the over 40% of men in the U.S. are considered obese mm-hmm. based on BMI levels. Mm-hmm. So, but, Doc, so, so, Doc, so some of your research delves into into nutrition and initially motivated you to explore this area, how do you foresee it evolving in terms of addressing specific nutritional needs and challenges faced by men in the coming years? That's a big question. Yeah. That's a really big question. <laughs> you um, So I foresee it as being a challenge for a variety of reasons. And so if you look at the data around weight and Obesity in infants, children, adolescents, and adults, like those trends are not positive and there's not a lot going on to slow that trend down or to reverse that trend in any way, shape, or form. So for example, with infants, uh, having being born with low birth weight is a is is increasing and it leads to all sorts of other things. So for example, well, first of all, by low birth weight, I'm talking about babies that are born at five and a half pounds or less. And so average birth weight tends to be higher for boys, but boys tend to be premature. They'd be born prematurely. This trend is really bad from 2013 to 2018. And those numbers are worse for those with low education levels and for those that are of Hispanic and African-American descent. And so lower birth weight is linked with babies exposed to illicit drugs alcohol, cigarettes while in utero is linked with mothers with poor nutrition, inadequate prenatal care, and and pregnancy complications. And so this low birth weight winds up leading to contributing to a greater likelihood of death at a young age. It contributes to growth being stunted. It contributes to brain and cognitive development being impacted. And they also, these babies also result in having more higher incidence of just getting other illnesses. So if their social environment, if their social and their environmental situations are also negative, then those problems can become even more pronounced. On the adolescent level, we're taught for males specifically, the data show that from 2011 to uh, 2011, 2012 to 2017 to 2020, those time periods where they collected data, and the gap for 2017 to 2020 is bigger because of, of COVID. Um, the race increased from 18.1% of these adolescent boys, young men, to being over 21% Wow! In, in a 10-year period. And so we're saying that one in five, more than one in five of these boys is is obese. On the adult side, like I said, like it's over, it's over 40% for men between 20 and 85 so, and for men ages 40 to 59, my, my age bracket here, um, it's 46.4%. So it just continues to just mm. climb and climb, yeah, climb as well. And climbs and, and, and climbs. Like the, the trend had slowed in the early 2010s and has since picked up again. Yeah. So I'm curious because I guess for men, and may, maybe the research doesn't show this, I don't know, but I feel like 
at least in my observation, that our dietary habits, our um, the things that we do are typically maybe more risky than women. Like I, I think that we we have more tendency to go out and eat the fried foods and drink a beer and you know kind of go in that direction. Yes. So here's a two part question for you. What advice do you have regarding uh, nutrition, as far as you know, for men, and particularly in terms of optimizing your health and your well being? And then secondly, are there specific dietary considerations that are crucial for men to, to prioritize? Yes. And yes. Yeah. And yes. Okay. And so um, when you say that, that men may not pay attention to dietary habits as they should on average, yes, absolutely. That's in, it's in the literature. It's also, I mean, I see it all the time anecdotally. Some of it is that it's fun, it's casual, it's a way to bluff steam, you're getting together with your friends those sorts of things too. And so the outlets that men versus women have in that space is, is different. You know, women may get together and have ice cream, let's say, I don't, I don't know, but men like going, Hey, let's go grab a burger. Let's go grab a beer. Let's go grab a whatever. That's just commonplace. Even just a coffee. Like it's, it's the same sort of thing. The big advice I would give men from a nutrition perspective is to get enough protein in your diet. Sure. And so getting enough fat and carbs isn't as hard to do. It's easy to access. It's more affordable than, than many protein sources. And so it's hard to get enough protein in your diet, especially when you're exercising. Good protein sources include things like, and you've probably heard this all over the place, you know, it's lean, lean beef, tuna, lean hamburger, chicken, lamb, pork chops. And a, and a three ounce serving of each of those items has 20 grams of protein. Right. So in terms of Protein, men need, based on USDA requirements, we're looking at 56 grams of protein a day. Now, if you're exercising, it becomes more than that. Sure. And that protein becomes really important as you age, whether you're exercising or not, because as you age, you lose you lose muscle mass, you lose strength, you lose stamina. And being able to like continue to support that is just important for, for longevity's sake and just being able to, to function. And it's not that that protein is is the answer, but if you're still eating, let's call it junk, for lack of a better word, right? You're you're not you're doing more damage to yourself than you are. So protein's trying to kind of offset that to some degree, right? I mean, as well as other vitamins and nutrients as well. So I would recommend reading nutritional labels. Mm. I would recommend tracking that. Mm. Now I also know, um, uh that tracking it is just a pain in the patokas. Yeah. It's just a pain. But I think if you can, uh, even with, even with um, you know, apps and online trackers, like it still is a pain. But if you know your number, and I think if you just track the protein and you look at the, the foods that you most commonly eat and know what those are, because you're going to have those foods more often, yeah. you can at least have a better gauge about what that intake looks like. Okay. In terms of tracking your health and, and optimizing your health, I think that's a focal point in terms of your macronutrients. In terms of your micronutrients, the thing that I'm just hearing more about has to do with uh, testosterone. You know, testosterone levels in men decrease as they age, and that leads to a whole lot of stuff like fatigue and changes of mental sharpness, less stamina, mild depression, or compound depression. And then we get into things like reduced sex drive, 
erectile dysfunction, shrinking testicles, hot flashes, low sperm count. Like, what about this sounds good? Yeah, I'm, I'm eking over here. <laughs> it's just even worse to say it. And so, but now there are medical interventions in place to, to remedy this, right? But insurance doesn't always cover that expense. And, but you can also help to support this th- through the foods that you eat. Yeah. So the big things are zinc, magnesium, and your vitamin D. Now your vitamin D is hard to track because a lot of that comes from sunshine, but you can also get it through egg yolk and salmon and things along those lines. You can also get it through supplements and I'll get talk more about that in a second. Um, the zinc, you can get this through eggs, red meat, pumpkin seeds, beans, and lentils. Now you only need 11 milligrams a day of that. Um, but you just need to get, get from the, from the sources that have it. Sure. Right. And then magnesium through avocado, again, pumpkin seeds. Mm. It's, it's a thing. Okay. It's a thing. <laughs> Who knew? And I feel then, like I've been seeing that a whole lot more lately. Yeah. I, I feel like 10 years ago that pumpkin seeds were just things you threw out of a pumpkin and that was it. Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> Dried them and then threw them out or whatever. Right. And so being deficient in these vitamins links to lower testosterone levels. And so just keeping those up isn't a guarantee, but it does help support that production. Also with magnesium, uh, dark chocolate is a good one. So I'm, I'm on board, um, with that. Yeah. So, yeah, because they contain magnesium. And so that kind of helps to feed all that, all that together. Now you can get these things from a multivitamin, but there's, how do I say this nicely? There's a lot of crap out there. Sure. And so you really have to. The advice is to look at something that has been certified by a third-party organization like USP or Consumer Lab, because those are the ones that verify that the product does contain the ingredients it says it contains, and it doesn't contain anything potentially harmful. So the FDA does not approve or certify supplements. It's these third-party organizations that, that do commercially. Right. So I guess in terms of optimizing health, I would focus on the protein and those three things. I'm not saying that the other vitamins, you know, A through A through K is not important. They absolutely are for a variety of different reasons. But I think on a, on a bigger picture of man's health, um, especially as you're aging, I think those are things to, to really pay attention to. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Hey, I appreciate that, Doc. Here recently, we saw the FDA remove eye drops from shelves due to the presence of drug resistance bacteria. In the past, we've seen outbreaks of hysteria with Bluebell back in 2015. To me, this seems like such a reactive process. Uh, how can we as a consumer ensure that we are what, we, what we're buying off the shelf isn't harmful? That is a fantastic question. <laughs> that's a fantastic question. And that's a really hard question because you've got, you know, producers who are doing their thing and they're getting, you know, product to market and then we're buying the product. And so there's the the responsibility lies with the producer, whether that's a farmer or whether that's a food manufacturer like like Bluebell. And so sadly, there are about 48 million cases of foodborne illness annually, which is roughly the equivalent to about one in six people getting ill from something that they beat. And mm-hmm. so and about three thousand people in the US die annually from said diseases mm. or said conditions. And so the onus is on the food producers to ensure safety and they need to engage in 
proper food handling, uh, good personal hygiene and cleanliness, proper cleanliness and sanitation, those those sorts of things. Prevent cross-contamination, um, keep temperatures, uh, maintain proper temp- temperatures during storage and transportation, rotate their inventory, and then use good waste management pr- pr- procedures, right? So that's the academic answer. The reality is that what's happening is that there winds up being manure feces mm. that is contaminating the product and it's not discovered until too late. So that's part of those procedures too, but it could also be linked with the actual human handler use, engaging in proper hygiene procedures too. Like if you haven't washed your hands or you haven't showered or all those sorts of things can 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 come into play within that. So that's why the... I want to say sanitation, but the the washing of your fruits and vegetables and keeping your meats separate and like using a different cutting board or washing that cutting board before is just going to help prevent that to happen. Yeah. You can take it to a higher level even by say with like green leafy vegetables by washing them more than once, two or three times. Don't use, you know, a bleach or a wash. I think back in my mom's era, there were like, let's use lemon or let's use vinegar there's no real scientific evidence that says that's any better than than just washing by by hand. Can't hurt, right? Right? Can't yeah. hurt. <laughs> I mean, my wife still um like whenever there's berries, she will soak them in in, in vinegar. Um makes the kitchen smell great. <laughs> Fantastic. But I get what she's trying to do. Right. So, I'll take that over, you know, vomiting and diarrhea any day. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And yeah, I, had food poisoning probably three times in my life, and that is that is death. And you will remember those vividly. Yep, that you die. <laughs> it's <laughs> the worst. It's the worst. If it doesn't take you, you will remember it. And yes. Do. <laughs> oh yeah, I can remember dates. I can remember times. I can remember places. <laughs> All of those. Oh man, that's terrible. You know, we created this podcast because we wanted to really just help create awareness for men. Have a place where men could stop by listen to topics they like to talk about, hear experts talk about the things that we either like to talk about or we just need to to hear about, right? But, you know, I feel like nutrition and education surrounding nutrition has really just changed over time. You can look at the food pyramid, right? Mm -hmm. And that whole concept has changed, I mean, even since I was a kid, right? Mm -hmm. And, And you hear all these different strategies for weight loss all over. There's a pill for everything. Yeah as a consumer, how do we kind of get through all the mess and all the, just the the jargon out there and the snake oil to get to what really works? I know you touched on some of the, obviously your macros and your micros and, and the things that are really evidence-based that really work. But, you know, I guess how do we as become smart consumers and create good habits too as well? That's a hard question too. You guys are all over these hard questions. <laughs> it's, um, it's weird in some sense that things have changed so much over time. Yeah. You know, like, well, hey, we're recommending this now, and and why is that? And I don't know that the public really knows why, why they made those changes. And because the the diet and wellness industry is so massive, just just millions and billions of dollars people spend on on products. Sometimes it's because it's a quick hit, and sometimes it's because, you know, they really like taking salmon oil. Mm. Like, it, it's good for the brain, it's good for your heart, um, your blood pressure, heart preventing heart disease, those sorts of things. And so, I think for me, the answer is, is KISS. Keep it simple, stupid. 
just rely on whole foods as much as you can, avoid processed foods. And there, there's, and as I say this, I hear in my head, wow, you're being a hypocrite, but just, you can't be hundred percent. You just, you, you can't, but if you can have most of your diet be in that space, a buddy of mine and I, a really, a, a great friend of mine and I, we both have talked about this at length and we both decided that our goal is going to be 80-20. Like if we can spend 80% of our caloric intake being healthy stuff, mm-hmm. proteins, carbs, and fats, and the 20% can be whatever the heck we want without guilt, without shame, without any kind of negative baggage that can come with that, we're trying to achieve a goal, then just just let it be. Sure. Just let it be. And I think because we don't track, I mean, I don't track. I've tried to track. I'm really bad at tracking and I love data. So what does that say about me? Right. Right. <laughs> like how insufficient am I as, as a human being because of that? But I just like look at me and go, okay, well, that's, that's okay. That's not, that's not so bad. Like, oh, well, I shouldn't have had that after lunch. So I need to kind of just kind of watch it. There's also the kind of idea around, around cheat meals, like pick a day and just eat whatever you want and not worry about it and just be quote good on those other days. But I think to answer your question, it's really just keeping it good simple. Like I don't, I haven't, I haven't tried all these days. I haven't tried paleo and tried keto. Like I can't speak from personal experience about, about those. Those do work for some people, but not all. And I think finding what, if one of those things works for you to do that, that's fantastic. Then you should do that. Also be aware of that you need a certain amount of all these other vitamins that you may not be getting through other sources. Right. So like vegetarians um, are more likely to get anemia. But so like, okay, so you got to eat raisins, but you got to just be aware of those sorts of things are going to come up based on the dietary changes. If you stick with, um, you know, just the RDA guidelines, unless you are want to be a little more, I don't know the right words, hypervigilant, but if you want to be more aware of what that is, many gyms have scans or in-body scans. You can go in and and weigh yourself and get your BMI and all that sorts of stuff. And you can figure out what your caloric intake needs to be each day. If you're, all you're doing is, is, is resting, like you're not having exercise or an active lifestyle. Sure. And then you can say, okay, well, if I'm going to say that this is what I need to have, and I know that this PB and J that I've made for myself is going to be 300 calories and my bolster in the break in the morning is going to be 250 calories. So I've got the rest of this left over at dinner. Yeah. And that's and that's great. And if I'm having a piece of cake, then don't lie to yourself like I do and say that it's um oh that's only like 300 calories sure. right there, where it's something um significantly more than that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it, well, you gotta do that though. You know what I'm saying? If you're if you're cutting in one spot, then you know you're gonna give yourself something. <laughs> you got to feed the soul, right? Right. We have to yeah. do that. <laughs> kind of going into obesity, we we talked about this before we hopped on uh-huh. live here, but we were talking about the concept of obesity, obviously nutrition and what you eat obviously is a big uh, contributing factor to obesity, but we talked about tribalism and you brought this up mm-hmm. and how that is a very big indicator, I guess, when it comes to your behaviors. 
right? Yeah. And, and the things that you do. Can you speak a little bit to that and maybe how it pertains to, I guess, nutrition and, and whether we're fat or not? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So um, I think that we tend to gravitate toward people who are similar to us. Like we've got some sort of commonality. No, so I have I have friends that are my workout buddies, if you will. No, but so I work out at home. So my friends are like somewhere else. So that seems kind of odd, but it, it, it kind of works. Um, that we're kind of accountable to each other and we're just always encouraging and whatnot. And, you know, I developed some good friendships, some of which have sustained. One is really sustained. The rest of them kind of like dropped off for whatever reason. But the whole idea of social support is really big. So my my one really good friend we, you know, we don't work out together, but we work out at the same time. And so for a long time, we did this. Are you up? Yeah. Are you working out? Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Did you start? What was going on? And we were both in this, in this group called Basement Beasts, which is a resistance band online workout. You subscribe and then you get four workouts a week for ever essentially. I mean, there's like a whole bunch of different programs. And so, you know, the motto is show up and press play. That's all you got to do. Mm. And okay, did you press play? Did you show up? Are you up? Get out of bed. We got to go. We got to go. We got things to do. We got goals to meet, et cetera, et cetera. And that was, that's really been powerful. And that really developed into just, just a really important friendship for me in a whole other bunch of different ways. I think such support with diet and nutrition is really, really powerful. My wife's trying to to get into better shape. I'm trying to get into better shape, but we are both stress eaters. Mm. So she is my main social support, but we try to support each other around food, but we also love each other. And so we're very lenient with each other when it comes down to, yeah. oh, yeah. honey, there's no ice cream, <laughs> you know? And right. so, okay, what flavor are you looking <laughs> for, for like, like fruity? Are you looking for sweetie? Like what, what, what am I going for? Yeah. And you know, I... Don't think anything about doing that 10 o'clock run to H-E-B Kroger, <laughs> you know, because I love her. Right? Yeah. And um, is this, this is a good thing. It probably could be a little bit better, but, you know, it's working for us kind of, Lisa, there's our managing stress. Hopefully we'll kind of get to that point where it's a little something else. But I think um, having more people to support you in those goals becomes really, really important. Yeah. Having an, an accountability system. Yeah. For, with your kids, yeah. with your wife, with just the people, like the people that you work with, like that whole, the, the, the tribe of, of proximity is like the one that gets the most attention. And then there's the kind of the outer tribe that can either help support that or has to be the one that really breaks the patterns that the proximity group has. Right. Cause, uh, you're right. I, Taco Bell's way too close to my house, and so I got a lo- I got a, a class action lawsuit ready to go because it's <laughs> their fault. But. Yeah, I live a mile between H E B and Kroger and College Station. So, like, which direction do you want me to go? Right, right. Which one? Do you want Blue Bell? You want what? What do you want? Right. Like, it's too easy, man. It is. The access to unhealthy foods is so much greater than access to healthy foods. You're set up for failure. Absolutely set up for failure. It, it's really difficult. Between that and between advertising, you know, between your kids' birthday parties. Yep. 
And you can't be the you can't be the a hole and say, oh, "Hey, you, you want a piece of cake?" No, I don't want a piece. You gotta have a piece of cake during a birthday party, right? You gotta have it. Yeah, it's just yeah. like it's a I've been it's a standard of life. Absolutely, <laughs> I've been able to say, you know, yes, just to make you happy. So rationalizing the whole experience completely, or I'll say, yeah, but no ice cream. Yeah, I'm trying to lose weight. There you go. You know, it's like going into like Whataburger and saying, oh, can I get a Diet Dr. Pepper with that? Yeah. <laughs> it, it just comes to being, uh, you know, you just got to get your portions correct. You sure. Saying like, hey, I'll take a little piece of this and a little ice cream. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. You know, you, just to be the, the polite bite. You right. Know, saying like, hey, I'll, I'll take that. And not being the jerk of saying, nah. Yeah. Yeah. Polite bite. I like that. It's, yeah, that's a great, that's a great saying. And that's really hard too when it's a kid's birthday party and you know your kid's only going to eat the frosting. Yeah. Right. And then you got to eat that cake because otherwise it's wasted. Like you said, it's, we don't it's, waste tomorrow. It's, it's hard. It's, it's, it's hard. It's hard to win. It's hard to win without putting yourself in a bubble. Okay. And so that's why the 80 20 thing, like if 20% of my time is spent like getting ice cream that is usually a flavor that I don't like. So I don't have any problem with that one. But then I'll say, well, I'm doing this great thing. I deserve something too. Let me get that half cake. Let me get that uh, cherry pie. Let me go, you know, ooh, look, cookies are on clearance. That's yeah. a deal. Because you can heat those up in the microwave and they'll be fine again. Right. We got it figured out, man. <laughs> yeah. I've had that kind of relationship with food like all my life. Like it's been really hard. Sure. So um, I grew up in West Virginia okay. in the really ugly like steel part. Gotcha. And so I bordered Ohio and Pennsylvania. It was a, such a small town. We didn't have a movie theater. Like we had to go to Ohio or Pennsylvania to go to the movies. Wow. Just, that's just what, you know. Oh, okay. Sure. All right. Anyway, so growing up, my family, it, my, I'm of um, Slavic descent. We grew up in this very melting pot community of Italians and Greeks and Serbs and all these other, like the Western side of Eastern Europe. So we always had access to these very rich, heavy, dense foods were part of the culture. We also live in America. So we also had access to hamburgers and hot dogs and elephant ears and like just all this like, ooh, donuts. Ooh, there's a new bakery in town. Oh, that's exciting. Let's go try that out. And even the family functions, it was always about like who's bringing how many dishes and I being able to identify what's in them. Like, yeah. ooh, I brought something new. Who can tell me what, what I put in this? Ooh, yeah, you put nutmeg in that. Ooh, wouldn't it be, imagine it'd be, how good it would be if there was cinnamon in it too? Those sorts of things. Yeah. So food was always, always, always a big thing. And so I grew up just with this relationship with food. Food with my friend. Food was my family. This is really wonderful. And then I got very pear-shaped. You know, I wasn't athletic. I was very small, upper body, and was just all all pear. It was just really kind of sad. Mm. And so, um, you know, I went to college, and you know, I lost some weight, and just had this like relationship with being in shape and not being in shape, and and whatnot. And by being in shape, I mean not being as bad, badly out of shape. <laughs> so, but I decided in my mid thirties, like, hey, I'm gonna I'm gonna get it together. I'm really gonna do this, and I'm going whole turkey. I'm, I'm done with sugar, done. And I did that for five years. Wow. Felt great. Mm -hmm. Loved it. Can't imagine doing that now. 
That's hard to do. It's, it is. It's it's yeah. in, it, a brain addiction. Yeah. And, you know, but I did it and that's when I met my wife, which is probably good because <laughs> that's when I was in good shape. It might not have ever happened. Yeah. And I'm not. And then, then I worked in a gym for a while. So I had, um, like I taught, um, I got, I got a really good shape. Like I taught a spinning class, like who does that? Yeah. And, um, you know, that I started like, like I auditioned to teach other classes and then I like was a trainer for a little bit and I had clients that were just kind of all over the place in terms of age and ability and whatnot. And I had a client and he was the one that really convinced me to go back to school at some point and do this on a population level rather than on an individual level. So he was 6'4", 300 pounds. He was just sloppy. And it's not a judgment on him, but I thought, oh my gosh, like this, I was, I'm, I was burgeoning on this. And this is an unusual case. Like this is like people, this happens to people. Yeah. And so what are we looking at at a population level that, that is, is triggering this and how can the system be better equipped to do that? He was such a nice guy. He was a DJ in a strip club and he had this girlfriend who was just beautiful. It was like... I don't have a girlfriend. What? How? What? What? And you're sloppy. <laughs> like, how is this fair? Yeah. And so, anyway, so I had, so it was like, hey, this is, this is, I really want to go back. It's a perfect storm. I mean, you know. yeah, exactly. <laughs> right? Yeah. yeah. And, you know, I remember him so vividly. I cannot remember his name to save my life, but he was really the one that was instrumental. Like that, that was what put the bug in my ear. Like, wouldn't it be cool to do that? Yeah. And then when my wife and I, were dating, she said to me, we got to the point where we were talking about deal breaks. And I said, I was living in Denver at the time. And I said, I don't want to ever live, leave Denver. And I said, and I don't want floral bedding. Like, I just can't possibly yeah. do that. Yeah. Like, I've been single for a long time. Like, floral bedding is just not my jam. And so I don't live in Denver. And I do have floral bedding. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I know how oh, that goes. <laughs> yeah. And so, um, but she said one of her deal breakers was like, I'm getting my doctorate. Like, and I'm serious. And if you have issue with this, then I'm hanging up now. Like we're on the phone. I said, why would I, why would I do that? Like, that's silly. Yeah. Like, why, I would even think that. Like, am I a horrible person? Like, why would you even say that? Anyway, she said like, hey, let's talk about like, Going back to school and i said yeah let's talk about going back to school and so I, I went back to school and the the deal was you go first and i'll go next because we had like the, our son was in utero at that time and then when we left he was just not quite one yeah and so so i went it was like yeah i'm going to do this i'm looking at a bc i'm going to do these things i'm going to like take these these classes and do this thing and learn how to do research and she has not come back to school yet. Oh. <laughs> not done it. She's getting another mat. She decided to do another master's and she's now in a research class. And I think she's getting bit by that bug. So we'll yeah. see how that goes. You were telling that story. It reminds me of, of Alex Solon's uh, story because I met Alex. He was my boss. He's the one that told me about you. Yeah, yeah. exactly. Uh-huh. And he, I know that whenever he moved down to College Station, his wife was getting her, her PhD, mm -hmm. and they, they did the whole flip thing. I'm going to do my PhD, and then he went and got his. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, that's an interesting concept. It's, a, it's it's it is not for the week for the weak of heart. No, it is. Um, it it was hard. It was hard, and with kids, it's it's hard. 
I've, hard. I've got two masters myself, myself, and so I was part of the you know cohort with the PhD students that were in my program with me, and watching what they had to go through versus what I had to go through. I mean, it it completely turned me off from being a doctor. So I tip my hat to you. So <laughs> yeah, it's really some great things about being a PhD student that I really love and I really even still miss today. But there are things that are like, what? Probably still got nightmares it about. Does that? There are times. There are times where I'll have like a, a little twitch, or mm. I will come back up again, like in a dream. Like, oh, did I get to defend again? Yeah, I just defended this. <laughs> We're doing this again. Why? Dr. Tala, we've had a great time with you here today. We really enjoyed our discussion, talking about obesity, nutrition, and your career too as well. But before we let you go, we'd like to get just a piece of advice from you that maybe doesn't have to pertain to anything, but just any piece of advice that maybe has stuck with you throughout your life that you can give us before we end the show today. Wow. You guys, when these questions really, really good. The first thing that came to mind is what I'll, I'll share with you is just be good to yourself. Mm -hmm. Surround yourself with people who are going to be good to you. I think life is just really hard and it is really easy for men to not be good to themselves. Mm -hmm. I think it's easy for people to not be good to themselves in general, but I think for men it's even more difficult. We don't have the same kind of expressive outlets that women do. It requires kind of a whole different change in how we're socialized. We kind of have to break through some some walls, some barriers to be able to to do that, to do that effectively. And that is just not easy to do. It's just not. You know, we talked coming up before we started about about this thing. Like when you're ki a kid, like it, it's easy to make friends, and you fight and you punch each other, and then it's kind of over and you kind of get on with it again. And as you get older, that sort of response isn't as socially acceptable to do. And so being able to to navigate that and find your tribe and to find the people that are going to be good to you. They're going to tell you when you're screwing up and they're going to tell you, you know, pick yourself up or, hey, like you really need to like let this out. Like let's get a burger or, you know, let's go get like a healthy smoothie, whatever that may be. Right. <laughs> yeah. But just, I think just be good to yourself be good to others and just surround yourself with people who are going to be good to you as much as you possibly can. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that one's going in the, in the rule book here. So, okay. Thank sure. you. Thanks for giving that to us. And, uh, we'll have you back here in the bakery here very oh, soon. Oh, you bet. You bet. Can't wait. All right. Thank yes, you. Sir. Thank you. Well, dudes, that's it for our show this week. Anthony and I had a really great time chatting with Dr. Atala, both on the air and off the air. He's a wealth of knowledge surrounding public health, and we hope that we can have him back on the show here soon. Dudes, to find out more about Dr. Jeffrey Hatala, find him on LinkedIn. And as always, you can find links to our content on our link tree at Donuts with Dudes. And dudes, you can request a shout out or comment on today's show by following the link in our show notes or by emailing us info at donutswithdudes.com. Dudes, remember our mission is to make men better and smarter each week. So if you get a chance, share the show with some friends. And until next week, take care of yourself, and we'll see you in the bakery for the next batch of fresh hot topics.